As uh, we were playing that video, this verse just came to mind, Revelation 12, 11. It says this, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. And uh, this Christmas season, I just want to encourage you, that, encourage you, the Bible says there are two ways that you remind the enemy that he's defeated. First is the blood of Jesus, but the second is the power of your testimony. People will argue all along theology, theology and sometimes uh, we get intimidated about talking to people about Jesus, but can I just encourage you, people can argue theology, they can argue a bunch of different stuff. No one can argue the power of a transformed life. And so this Christmas season, I just encourage you, you all have a story to share and someone needs to hear that. Now, uh, we are in the final week. It is crazy to think Christmas Eve will be this uh, upcoming Saturday, but we're in the final week of this series, Great Joy. Now, when you think of Christmas, help me out here. Uh, when you think of Christmas, there's a lot of words that associate Christmas, but what are some of the words that you hear at Christmas time? Joy, very good. <laughs> you can even say Jesus, I will, I will receive that. What else? Santa. Giving, family, small loans, love. Well, one of the words, you, you, uh, you got the prize there, but one of the words that I kept seeing all around Christmas time was the word joy. And people talk about joy all the time. They talk about, you see it in commercials at this time of the year. People talk about getting a certain possession, a certain gift, and then you'll find joy. People talk about the joy of the season and creating memories and experiences. People talk about even the spirit of the season with Santa, the magic, the wonder. It is a, a season of joy. But do you ever slow down in the midst of all these advertisements for joy and think about what really brings deep joy? What brings a lasting joy? What brings a great joy to our lives? You know, my uh, kids, we were telling them just the other week that we couldn't put out all of our normal Christmas decorations because we were uh, getting ready to move. And so they were pretty upset. So we said, hey, you know what we're gonna do? We're actually gonna get a real Christmas tree this year just to create some memories. And my three-year-old daughter, my three-year-old daughter goes, so we go to Costco now? <laughs> and it was like the proudest dad moment I had next to when she started walking. I'm like, you gotta raise them up in the ways of Jesus. She's talking about Costco. And it's like that moment as awesome as it was, it created joy. I don't know if it was great joy. We all know what it's like to have someone at some point in our life praise you, a spouse that you love or a boss or a friend. And it's like you care about their opinion. And when they acknowledge you, when they praise you, you have this feeling of just excitement and it creates joy, but I don't know if it's great joy. You know, we, if you have kids, you have that moment when your kids were born or if your grandparents, when you, when you became a grandparent or maybe some milestone in your life and you talk about joy and it creates joy, but I don't know if it's the deepest joy that you can have. Even at Christmas season, we will talk about, especially as you get older, you have these moments where you realize the fragility of life and the fleeting nature of life. And if you're anything like me, these last few years as I've been gathered with friends and family around Christmas time, I just have this feeling of joy because I know how quick life is. And you know what? I go to bed those nights and I lay down and I feel gratified. I feel fulfilled and I have joy, but I don't know if it's the greatest joy I can have. And yet the Bible says that there is something that causes great joy because the problem with these joys we speak about around Christmas time is they're all fleeting and they're always temporary. And next year, this word joy is going to be advertised and more possessions and more memories, but it doesn't seem to last. But the Bible has an antidote to something that lasts forever. In fact, you got to think between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years of silence. So the words that 
the kingdom speaks, the words that the angels speak through God would probably be pretty important if they were the first words spoken in 400 years. And so with that in mind, I want to read to you what the angels proclaimed through God 2,000 years ago in verse, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring to you good news that causes what? Great joy for all people. So this joy is available, but the problem is there is a prerequisite or requirement for this joy. It's not found in possessions or the things of this world. Notice what it says in verse 11. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah and the Lord. And for us to experience this great joy, we've been talking about the fact that we have to not just know about Jesus, we have to know him in these three ways. First, that he is the savior. And Gary spoke about that two weeks ago. You know, only in the gospel do you have this almost paradoxical reality that you and I are far more worse than we ever could have imagined. Which means even if you grew up in Awana and you just were in church your whole life and you didn't live that bad of a life, the Bible is clear that every one of us has sinned and fallen short the glory of God. Every one of us deserves the wrath of God. But the Bible says we're not just worse than we thought. The Bible also says you and I are worth more than we thought. That Jesus came to this earth born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, walked on this earth for 33 years, was crushed and crucified, but he rose again. And he did all of that because he thought you and I were worth it. That's the beauty of the gospel. And the thing I find about myself is the more familiar I am with Jesus saving me and dying on the cross, probably the further I am from grace. Because when you ever behold that and you think about that, even as we were singing that song, From the Cradle to the Dirt, or from the throne to the dirt, this cradle in the dirt, this song we were singing, it just hit me. Jesus gave up the rights of glory and heaven, and he came to this earth born in obscurity. And he did that because he wanted to save us. And when you get that, it just starts to create a joy inside of you. Paul talks about his story three times on the Damascus Road, three times in the book of Acts. Now, why does he talk about his story three times in one book of the Bible? Because I think when he talked about Jesus, it was because he had great joy that Jesus had saved him. He wasn't familiar. It was something that transformed him. But then you got to know him as the Messiah. The Messiah literally means the chosen one. Gary talked about that last week. That, that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a good guy. He wasn't just this moral guy giving good stories. He wasn't a God amongst other gods. He was the way, the truth, and the life. And when you think about the fact that this great God, King of Kings, has chosen you, do you know what wells up in your heart? Great joy. But then there's this third invitation that we're looking at today that causes great joy is you have to know him as Lord. And this is probably the most difficult one to live out. Because if I was going to put this sermon in a sentence, it would be this. For us to experience great joy this Christmas, we have to make Jesus Lord of every area of our life. Not a part. He has to be Lord of every area of our life. A great writer and revivalist named Leonard Ravenhill says these two things about the cross. He says, the cross has two invitations. One is to come to the cross. And there you experience forgiveness and grace. But he says the invitation doesn't stop it coming to the cross. It says, he says, then we also have to climb up on the cross like Jesus. And we have to surrender and submit and make him Lord of every area of our life. And people don't like that invitation as much as come to me. And so if I could put this in a picture just to kind of illustrate what it means to make Jesus Lord of your life. On the right hand side, you will see people who make Jesus a part of their life. It looks like this. I'm at the center 
And God is a big part of my life. I've come to the cross, I've experienced forgiveness, but I'm still in control of what I do on my time. And sometimes Sundays get busy, so I don't do all that. And sometimes I do my money how I want. Sometimes I do my entertainment how I want. I love Jesus, and he could even be the largest part of your life, but he's not the center, you are Lord. The other invitation is this, is that there's a point where you climb up on the cross and you say, you know what, my life is not my own. Like Matthew 16, there's an invitation to surrender and submit and make him Lord. And everything I do, the way I work is unto him. The way I parent is unto him. The way I use my resources is unto him. Everything filters through that lens, which can be difficult because if you're anything like me, I like giving Jesus majority of my life, but not control of everything. And in the Bible, there's a story that I was reminded of as I was thinking about what it means to make Jesus Lord of our life, because I was thinking about the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth and some things that they had to learn to make God the center of their life, even in some difficult times. Now, um, I'm going to just share a few brief things about what Zachariah had journey through. But before I do that, let me just tell you a little bit about him. Zachariah was a priest. He was from the, the line of Aaron. It was estimated that there were 20,000 priests that were serving uh, at the time in the New Testament. Uh, Zechariah was married to Elizabeth. The Bible says they were godly and blameless. Elizabeth was related to Mary, who uh, gave birth to Jesus. And so they, Jesus and John the Baptist entered the scene during the time of King Herod. And with that in mind, when these angels showed up, Zechariah had to learn how to make God Lord of everything in his life. And here was the first place that I think he had to learn to make him Lord, that you and I this Christmas season will have to do the same if we want to have great joy, is we have to learn to make him Lord in our waiting, in our uncertainty. Now, if you're anything like me, um, I go to a, a God-inspired place reg on a regular basis, uh, Chick-fil-A. It's just one of God's gifts to this earth. I confess that to you. But one of the things, and they have the greatest service. I mean, you get in and you get out. One of the things I hate they've done, though, is they have those lanes that veer off. And every time, this might seem small to you, every time I'm getting ready to choose which lane, I get nervous because I don't want to choose the wrong lane. And every stinking time I choose the wrong lane. On Thursday, I literally was on the phone with a friend and I began to pray, Holy Spirit, which line should I go to so it's quicker? I chose the right lane. It was completely wrong. Literally, it's like the person in front of me is ordering enough for a small village. And as four cars start passing, it's like my anger starts to well up. And then they give you your bag, you know, and they always say that phrase, like, my pleasure. And I'm like, well, it's not mine. You know, I'm just like upset at this point. And some of you, you can't judge me. I've seen you in parking lots. I've seen you in traffic. You're like sinners in the hands of angry God, all right? You're just all after it. But we all know what it's like. None of us, at least no one that I know has ever said, I love waiting. It's just God's greatest gift. We hate waiting. But it's one thing to wait for your food. It's another thing to wait in traffic. It's another thing to wait for God when you are desperate for a breakthrough. It's another thing to wait for God when you've got a bad medical report. It's one thing to wait for God when you have a prodigal son or daughter who's run off and you're just longing for him to come back. It's another thing to wait when you have crippling anxiety or worry about the future. It's another thing to worry when all of these things don't seem to be going well. And this is where Zachariah and Elizabeth were. They had seen all their friends have babies and life was going really well. The Bible says that they were praying and they were pleading for God to meet them and to break through in this area where they had been waiting. But the problem was the more they prayed, it felt like the more God was silent. And they began to wrestle through what was happening. In fact, somewhere we know 
that Zachariah and Elizabeth actually gave up on this prayer and they're waiting because God had not answered their prayer. And then one day, the Bible says that, that uh, Zechariah was chosen to go offer these sacrifices, these incenses of prayer. The Bible says that he was chosen. There were these lots that were drawn. It wasn't coincidence because the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, was going to meet with them. And so he goes in to offer these prayers of incense. And this is what it says in verse 11 in Luke chapter 1. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Listen to this. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, we don't know how long exactly Zechariah prayed and Elizabeth prayed, but it would have been years, decades. And all the while, all it was was silence. And after the years of their hope being crushed by disappointment after disappointment, we just know somewhere they quit praying. And you go, why do you know they quit praying? Well, listen to what it says in verse 7. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And I love how blunt the Bible is. And they were both very old. Do you know what very old means in Greek? It means Medicare, all right? They were not thinking about baby bottles and diapers They were thinking about their AARP cards. They were thinking about senior citizen discounts. They were not thinking about children, but something radical happens in the middle of this silence. God shows up and he reminds them that even though they didn't see him, and even though they didn't even feel him in those moments, he was there. As I was praying yesterday, I just felt led that there's probably someone who's going to watch this sermon at some point. Maybe you're in this room, maybe you'll watch later, who's struggling with infertility. And if you're in that space, probably like Zachariah and Elizabeth, you probably think God has forgotten or missed something in your life or you're not praying right. And can I just encourage you? God sees you, he knows you, and he cares about what you are walking through. And there is a huge difference between silence and absence. Just because God is silent in our lives sometimes, and maybe you have some health report that you're praying through, maybe for a kid, maybe through anxiety, whatever it is, maybe it's financial. Sometimes what we mistake is the silence is not absence. It's just God doing something in the midst for that moment when he breaks through. And the invitation to find great joy is that we climb up on the cross and we submit to God our timing and our outcomes and our rights. And what you find when you climb up on the cross and you give up the waiting and the frustration, what you find is you don't just find peace, you find a transcendent joy. Only Jesus can offer that. Nothing else on planet earth can offer that. And there's an invitation to think about what it is that we're experiencing. All throughout the Bible, people experience silence. We're not the first to journey through it. Think about Abraham. Abraham's told by God, I'm going to bless you. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. And then he's getting in old age going, hey, God, you forget that promise? You think about Joseph, told at the beginning of his life, I'm going to make you the ruler over people. And you imagine, we know the outcome of the Bible. But imagine you're Joseph. God tells you he's going to do this great thing. Then right after God tells you this, you're beaten up by your brothers. You're thrown into a pit. You're sold into slavery. You're only ever faithful to God. And then you're thrown into prison for being falsely accused of adultery. You're kind of going, I wish God would have never, ever promised me anything. And it just feels like, where's God? He's forgotten them. Take the Israelites, 40 years. 
God told them, hey, I'm gonna rescue you. I've got a promised land. But one small thing he left out was it was gonna take 40 years. So they're in the middle of this hot wilderness going, what happened? Did we hear it wrong? Did, did we make the mistake? And what do they do? They start to grumble. Where is God? But there is a huge difference between silence and absence. See, in each of these circumstances, people waited far longer than they had anticipated. And at many points, Israel started to trust not what was unseen, but what was seen, what was right in front of them. So I could just want to encourage you with this. I love what John Piper says about prayer and unanswered prayer. He says, God is often masterminding a thousand details behind the tapestry of our lives. And we only get to see three of them. Sometimes we see them immediately. Sometimes we don't for years. Sometimes we don't see them until we're with him for eternity. And yet the truth remains. He is still in the business. He is still in the business of answering prayers. Can I just encourage you this Christmas season? What are you waiting on? The invitation is not to grind through this or to waste time. You know, I was just even thinking about that. If you're anything like me, you know what we say in bad seasons? I just can't wait to get through this season. The only thing you and I will not get more of in this life is time. It's the only commodity you can't get. Don't waste away your time wishing your life away from this season to that season. In the middle of waiting, what you can find through the gift of Jesus Christ is not just peace, but great joy. Great joy. But you have to make him Lord of those seasons. You have to climb up on the cross and say, God, this is my life. I surrender to you. I submit to your timing. I submit to your outcome. And what you do is you find great joy in the midst of it. And that's what Zechariah had to experience. But then there's another invitation that Zechariah had to journey through. And I think we all have to is you have to learn to make him Lord in your pains and your setbacks. One of the quickest ways to erode your faith in God is pain and doubt. And so what happens is we all have these things that happen to us. And at some point, probably everyone in the room has said this phrase, where's God? Why is this thing happening? Zechariah has this moment that as he begins to doubt the word of this angel, the word of God, he actually suffers a setback. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 1, 19 through 20. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words, which come true, which will come true at their appointed time. So here we are. Because of his lack of faith, he is rendered mute. Now, some commentators, some scholars believe that he was actually uh, deaf also in the midst of this because in verse 62, it says that he literally had to write what he wanted his son's name to be on a tablet. Regardless of whatever happened, we know that because of his lack of faith, there was a cost, there was a setback, there was a pain he experienced. Now, if there's anybody who should have trusted God, it was Zechariah. He had spent his whole life serving God. He had studied the commands and the promises of God more than anybody else. He knew them like the back of his hand. Time and time again, he had seen God be faithful, but yet in the midst of this, he began to doubt, and there was a setback. There was a cost to this. But see, I don't believe this was just a punishment or a pain that Zechariah was walking through. I also believe it was an invitation because something happened to him in this season of pain where his faith grew in ways it could never have grown without it. In fact, you ever talk to someone who's really godly and, and uh, a few steps ahead of you and you ask them, where was the greatest growth in your life? Oftentimes they'll tell you it was some season of pain where they began to trust God. 
and they began to make him Lord and something changed. But here's the problem with pain. Pain will not necessarily make you better. It will also make you bitter if you're not careful. You can have two people have the same experience. One walks away and you know people like this. They get cancer or something like that, go through a divorce. And that one person makes Jesus Lord. They surrender through the pain and they walk out. And it's the most troubling thing for those of us who are not walking through those seasons because they have joy. And they actually have more compassion because they've walked through something. And they did it well. And so they have this love and this endurance and this hope. And you're going, how did you find hope in this season? And then you have other people go through the same thing and they just try to control the circumstances and they become bitter in the midst of it. And there's something that happened as Zechariah made him Lord of his life. Because see, the problem with Zechariah is like many of us. What Zechariah did was he looked at his circumstances first and what God could do last. He looked at his circumstances. He just saw, hey, we're old. I, I don't think I can do this thing anymore. And so literally, God shows up in the midst of these circumstances. And you know, it makes sense to look at your circumstances because it's logical, but there's one problem with that. The Bible isn't always filled with great human logic. The Bible's filled with things that frankly put are just bad math. Like the first shall be last. No one would wear that on a t-shirt. I mean, think about these things that we just used as Christian phrases that would make no business sense. I'm going to leave the 99 for the one. Not a great investment strategy. And then phrases like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Who makes this stuff up? Or ultimately, phrases like, come to me and die so that you may live. Even the cross that people wear around their necks that is so great, you know, you put them in your homes, that would be, I mean, we, you know this, that'd be like you wearing an electric chair nowadays. Just going, hey man, just trying to live in the moment. And Jesus took this instrument of pain, death, and torture and made this cross the greatest symbol of victory, power, and life. He's in the business of doing this. And so if he can do that with the cross, and if he can do all those things, then what could he do with your pain? I promise you, if you let him, he will take that pain and he will give you a greater faith and a greater power in the spirit than you've ever had. Some of us in this space right now, we need to stop asking, why are we going through this and start asking the question, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? Because if you do that and you stop asking all the why questions, what will happen is you make him Lord of your life right now. You will find a power and a life and an endurance you never thought possible in the spirit. So that's the invitation that all of us have. And that's the same thing that happens to Zechariah. In the time of silence and pain, something shifts in him. I believe if you talk to him, he would say, I just decided to surrender or submit whatever words you want to choose. But what is he ultimately saying? I decided to make him Lord and I'm not. And you know that happens because listen to what the first thing he says once he comes out of this season. The first words he speaks, pretty important indication of what his heart was in that time. Listen to what it says, verse 64. Immediately, his mouth was opened, his tongue set free. And notice this, what did he begin to do? He didn't say, I've got all these to-do lists. He began to speak, praising God. Let me just encourage you with this. Sometimes what are the detours in our life can actually lead you to your destiny. Sometimes the detours in your life can actually lead you to what is your destiny. Now, let me be clear. Sometimes those detours are because you do something like me that's just stupid. And you make a mistake and you experience pain as a result of that. Other times, the sad truth is you have a detour in your life because someone did something wrong and evil to you. 
And you're wondering, where is God in the midst of that? And that's a fair question, but can I just encourage you? What I love about God is he can take those detours and he can make those problems become part of your destiny and part of your healing and part of the transformation of other people. Literally, talking to a woman last week who had some of the most painful things happen in her life that I've ever heard. And I expected her to get to this place at the end of our conversation and say, I'm just so beat down, I'm so hopeless. Do you know what she said to me that I've been thinking about all week? She said, in the midst of this awful season, and I promise you it is one of the most awful seasons anybody could walk through, she said, I have joy. And then she said, you know what? I want others to know that in the midst of their pain, they can have joy. There is something about people who make God, make Jesus the Lord of their pain that they walk out and it's transformative. But I think the other invitation for us and maybe more timely for some of us in this room, if you are in a different season, some of you are in seasons of pain, but here's the other one that I was just floored thinking about this morning. That the other invitation for us to really experience great joy is for us to make him Lord in the good seasons of life. It's in the good seasons of life. For a lot of people, it won't just be the seasons of unanswered prayer or pain where we struggle to make God Lord. It will be the seasons of abundance and joy because deep down what happens in those seasons, we don't feel a huge need for God. We love God, but we just don't have the needs that we do. You know, when I was in Africa, there there was this uh, group of people that were praying. They had more passion than I had ever seen years ago. I said, where do you guys get this passion? I'll never forget what this woman said. She said, in America, you have too many idols. You have too many things that you're dependent on. We have one thing we're dependent on. It's Jesus. The problem with all of us is not that we don't love Jesus. It's just most of us aren't worried about where we're going to sleep tonight, what we're going to eat, if our kids are going to have Christmas. And so sometimes in that independence, it's not that we love God or despise him. We just get really busy and distracted. And it's in those good seasons that we end up forgetting God. And this is why I think when Zechariah, the moment he begins to praise, or the moment he begins to speak, he begins to praise God. Let me just read that again, because it's out of that pain he wants to establish rhythms that won't allow him to forget God or doubt him. And so this is what it says again in Luke 1, 59 through 64. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Again, let me read verse 64. Immediately, his mouth was opened, his tongue set free. He began to speak and praise God. I encourage you tonight, the very last half of Luke chapter 1, he doesn't just stop praising God there. It's like he creates rhythms. The last half of Luke chapter 1 is Zechariah's song. He is praising God. He is thanking God. And I think if you ask him, hey, why are you writing a song in the midst of this? I think he would tell you because I want to make sure that in the good seasons of life, the seasons of joy and abundance, I never forget God again. I make him front and center of every part of my life. See, sometimes it's in the seasons where everything is good that we're most at risk. Any parent or grandparent will tell you this. Whenever your kids are quiet, when all it seems good, it's not good at all. They're up to something. It's usually when they're crying, I got a radar sense on where my kids are, and I'm like, all right, she's over here. She can't be breaking anything yet. But it's when they're silent, I'm just like, what's going on? And it's in that same way that most of us start to struggle. I I love what Charles Spurgeon says. This is one of the greatest and troubling quotes to me. Listen to this. Some birds sing best in cages. Likewise, some of God's people shine brightest in the dark. Many an heir of heaven never prays so well as when he is driven by necessity to pray. 
Some will sing aloud upon their beds of sickness who hardly ever sang when they were well. Let me say that again. Some will sing upon their beds of sickness who hardly ever sang when they were well. Some will sing God's high praises in the fire who did not praise him like they should have before the trial came. What is he saying? We are most at risk sometimes in the good seasons, when there's abundance, when there's life. And here, let me encourage you with this. This is not a feel bad about your good season. This is a celebrate your good season. If you're in a season of blessing and abundance, that's from God. But in the midst of that blessing and abundance, don't forget him. Praise him. Thank him. Fall on your knees every night and thank God for the season you're in. One of the verses, if I could get one Christmas present from you. So if you're asking, hey, Brian, I, I want to give you one Christmas present. Here's what you can give me. Memorize Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 through 14. Fair enough? This is what it says. And I was serious by that. Some of you, one of you could bless me. Just one of you, all right? Deuteronomy 8, chapter 10. So think about this. Think about the weight of what is said here. The Israelites get into the promised land. 40 years of waiting. And this is what they're told the moment they step into a good season. Listen to this. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Listen to verse 12. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. Merry Christmas. I'm just telling you. This is the warning that God gave the Israelites, and this is what they struggled their whole life, is in the good seasons not to forget God. Independence in our culture is a treasured trait. It is absolutely fatal in your Christianity. Your desperation for God, your dependence on God, is really what determines whether you have great joy or not. What are you desperate for this Christmas season? This is not a, uh, a message of condemnation. It's a message of invitation. The good news is in a moment with Jesus, anything can change. So he takes that apathy and he lights a fire in us. I mean, every morning I feel like I'm going, God, I'm just a little more passionate about this thing. And what he does in his kindness is I give him my heart and he gives me his. And he awakens me with a new passion. So my question for you this morning is, like Zechariah, there are all areas of our life that we have to journey to make him Lord in. And when we look at these areas today, what are some areas in your life that you need to make him Lord in? Are you in a season of waiting? The invitation is to come up to the cross, climb up there, and give him your time, the outcome, and watch what happens is you don't just experience peace, you experience great joy. You take the pain that you are walking through right now or that, that you're experiencing in a new way, and you don't just say, God, where are you in the midst of this? You say, God, what are you doing? And you give it to him and you surrender, and what happens in the midst of that, you find not just a peace, but you find a great joy. Or maybe it's in the good seasons. You celebrate, you celebrate, you celebrate all the blessings you have. You're in a good season and not to discourage you. Those bad seasons will come, so enjoy this one. But make sure in the midst of that good season, you thank God for every good and perfect gift because they're all for him. So what I want to do right now as we close out, which is the most important part, I love that with God, you don't have to do some long process. We make it far more complicated than it is. There's no spiritual DMV. You don't even have to go to a back room. It's just in this moment when you really desire something, God is so good, he will take your heart of stone or your heart 
of ice and he will give you a heart of flesh. He will give you and ignite a fire. And so if you're in this place and you're just going, hey, this Christmas, I just, I wanna be more desperate for God. I wanna make him Lord. In your own way right now, take one of those areas and just pray, God, I wanna make you Lord. If you don't know Jesus is Lord, there's a reason you don't have life because great joy can only be found in Jesus Christ and in your own way. Surrender your heart to him in this moment, but just take a minute and speak to God wherever you're at. Ask him to transform your heart, make him Lord of your life and allow his joy to wash over you this morning as we close out our time. Jesus, you are here. We're reminded of Philippians 2 that one day every knee will bow on heaven and earth and proclaim you, Lord. But God, we don't have to wait till one day because in this room today, we proclaim that you are Lord. Lord of all the areas of our life. And I pray that as you hear the prayers, sons and daughters, men and women, speaking to you that this Christmas season they would experience that proclamation that was said 2,000 years ago. They would experience, because of your son, great joy. So we ask this all in the amazing, mighty, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you guys have a very, very wonderful Christmas. Um, join us on Saturday. Uh, we will be here, and I want to encourage you to, as, as Richard said, grab some cards out there. If you need prayer, if you need encouragement, if you need anything, you can walk back to that next step room. If you came prepared to give, you can give that on your way out. You guys are amazing. Have a wonderful week, and we will see you on Saturday and some of you on Sunday. Blessings.